Hi everyone, Lucas Werner here. If you've been enjoying these conversations about art and culture, you might want to check out the newest releases from David's Werner Books, where we've published award-winning titles on Diane Arbus, Yayoi Kusama, and Carrie James Marshall, in addition to Ekphrasis, the critically acclaimed series of texts on art. This season, look out for books from the likes of Catherine Bernhardt, Noah Davis, and Marcel Zama, as well as new additions to the beloved Ekphrasis series. Visit davidswernerbooks.com to learn more. From David's Werner, this is Dialogues, a podcast about artists and the way they think. Hey, everybody, it's Helen. In this episode, I'm doing something we've never done before on Dialogues, which is basically asking out loud a question I often think to myself when I meet people in the art world. Why do you do what you do? It's something we all wonder about those we admire, but often never get the chance to ask. So today, I'm thrilled to ask a couple of different folks who each bring a little bit of magic to what they do. The book designer, gallerist, and publisher of Karma Books, Brendan Dugan, the art critic, and a member of the cult band La Tigra and owner of the Seagull Salon, Johanna Fateman, and the curator and founder of 52 Walker, Ebony L. Haynes. Here we go. First up is the writer Johanna Fateman. I've been following her writing in The New Yorker, where she writes pithy reviews of exhibitions, as well as her longer reviews on the online publication Four Columns. Here she is. Could you self-introduce? Um, how do you like to self-identify, Johanna? Um, I'm Johanna Fateman. She, her pronouns. Um, I am a writer and an art critic and a musician, and I own a hair salon with my best friend in New York City. Um, that is such an awesome list of things to do. And I want to thank you so much for being on uh, the podcast today. When I first started in the art world, I was always curious about, like, why were all these people here? Why did people do what they do? And I find I'm still really curious about that. And I wanted to ask a bunch of people out in the out in this world why they do what they do. And I wanted to ask you because I realized at a certain point, I think during the pandemic, that you had become for me a certain kind of writer, which is that I would read who you were writing about no matter who you were writing about because I wanted to read you, which is different than reading about who you want to see, be, and the writer isn't that important. I don't know. I've been sort of following you, and you, I didn't really know where you fit into the landscape. And then I read about you, and I read that you, you know, owned a hair salon, and you also, you know, were involved in music circles. And I thought, why is this cool downtown girl, like, writing art criticism for The New Yorker? And so I thought I just wanted to ask you, like, basically, why do you do what you do? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a really good question. <laughs> I'm not sure I know the answer, but I, um, well, you know, I think I am someone who hasn't, um, I've taken the opportunities in, that fall in my lap. I mean, I'm an art writer because someone asked me to write a book review from Book Forum and I did a good job. And then an editor at Art Forum said, oh, I, I heard she went to art school. 
uh, does she want to write about art? And then she emailed me and I started writing art reviews and it just was like, I think people kept asking me and giving me more and more opportunities. I mean, I know, you know, I know you were in La Tigra because like, I don't know how to describe because I'm a, like a, a girl who hates the patriarchy. So of course I knew you were in La Tigra. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't yeah. know. Were you the mm-hmm. best? Did you write the songs? Did everybody write the songs? Everybody wrote the songs. I mean, um, yeah, it really varies. There's, um, you know, going into that band, that band was with Kathleen Hanna and Sadie Benning at first, and then J.D. Sampson was in the band. And Kathleen definitely had the most experience. She was coming from Bikini Cal, which was, you know, um, a well-known band who Mm -hmm. did... You know, um, so certainly her songwriting is really um, prominent, but in this, in the ways that Latigra was always kind of multimedia, and yeah, I guess that this is a long way of saying that it was really very collaborative always. And is there a? I mean, I'm sure there's a difference between writing a song and writing a little bit of criticism. But one of the things you're a New Yorker, because they don't read like a blurb, the things you write in the New Yorker. Like they have a kind of density to them. Um, you're in, like one of the things I like about your writing is there's a kind of, um, there's an efficiency that's not unlike a three minute song. And I guess I wonder, like, <laughs> is there, yeah, like is there a relationship between the songwriting and the art writing? Yeah, for sure. I mean, one thing that I've been thinking about recently because I've been reading, you know, I actually don't read that much art criticism, but when I do, I'm al- I'm always a little bit surprised about how um how many negative reviews there are. And I do one thing I think that helps my writing is that I remember how it is to be an artist, to have a record, to do performances and to, you know, have people take it really seriously or not take it seriously. So I do always think, and I don't mean this in a ass kissy way, because of course I write critical things about artists, but, you know, I want to be truthful to the material and not lazy about it. And if it's critical, I want it to be, you know, respectful Mm -hmm. of the amount of effort that goes into really doing anything putting it out in the world but that's not really your question the formal the formal parallels are yeah efficiency structure and i guess the defining the defining thing about a pop song is the hook so an inch an interest in audience and drawing people in and I mean, I think that's a really hard thing about being an art writer. I mean, even hearing you say that you read it all, you know, read all the New Yorker pieces. I mean, it's very, it's great to hear that because I really feel like I'm throwing this stuff into the void sometimes, you know. Oh, without um, question. One of the things that I hear sort of threading everything you've been saying together, and I'm going to say it to you to see if I'm if it if it resonates with you if it feels right to you 
is um there's something in you a, a, a there's the fan right there's like the friendship mm-hmm. the knowing what it feels like to get a bad review performing in a yeah. band knowing what a fan is like really knowing what a fan is more than mm-hmm. most other people and maybe that's one of the things i am responding to in your work is i i feel i wouldn't have known this without talking to you but I feel like you write from the position of a fan, like you write from a position, not of this is what's wrong with this, but this is why I like this. That's very, that's deceptively hard to do. It's, it's actually really hard to say why you like a thing. And I'm curious if, if that resonates with you. That does really resonate for me. And I think that in sort of the nineties, that was kind of, that was somewhat calculated as a pose in my writing um, because I considered that to be sort of a feminist position to take, um, to say, oh, being like a fan, a groupie, being totally subjective, you know, that's that's been sort of put down. But what if you play it up and can sort of instill what you're doing with that excitement because it's, you know, the the voice of the fan isn't particularly scholarly um, or it hasn't been considered so, but um, it is very persuasive and um, very exacting. You know, fans get the details, they get the information, they have all these kind of micro micro fields of expertise but when i say it was a pose i mean it was i mean that i thought it through but obviously it was something that came naturally to me or that was you know felt right in terms of my writing right that's fascinating to me first off i i i love the way you talk about fans because they really do know the details of a thing you know like a they um they're in deep and and even though like they're 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 sort of painted as being swept away they're in fact incredibly exacting in their (laughs) and in their taste and i'm also i I love it's interesting to me the like um when you kind of peg it to the 90s um, cause I feel really formed professionally by the nineties too, you know, like the nineties is when I'm, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not a, like, I'm not, I'm not really a kid in the nineties. I'm like this, I'm this thing in between a kid and an adult in the nineties. And, um, and I too, uh, uh, yeah, fandom and appreciation and a certain kind of, Certain things I associated with the quote unquote feminine, you know, hysteria, yeah. lack of control. These became valorized terms, you know, through feminism. And um it's it's funny to think about them now, like the way we smuggle in ideas from the nineties into the twenty twenties without necessarily right. even being aware of it or knowing about it. Well, it's so interesting because, I mean, I don't, you know, it's almost, I'm almost surprising myself by 
telling you about this because I don't think about it anymore. You know, it's just, yeah. it's just completely integrated into, I mean, I write all the time, so it's just what I do. I'm not really um, having these kind of meta discussions with myself about it, but yeah, I think that this, this idea of investing yourself in something, even if it's not, I mean, I write a, about a lot of art that isn't of particular interest to me, you know? So I have to be like, okay, but what's really interesting about it? Right. And then get into it. And it's really a choice. It's like having fun at a party. I mean, that's a choice. You can choose to have a terrible time. Right. Or you can just be like, fuck it. Let's yep. have a good time. That's that's like some adult shit right there. Yeah. I'll that goes to... beyond art yes. writing. <laughs> It does. Johanna, thank you so much for taking time out of your um, your busy life to um, talk to us about why you do what you do. I really appreciate it. Well, you're so welcome, and thank you for inviting me. Next up is Brendan Dugan, the owner-operator of the New York and Los Angeles gallery Karma. Karma is unusual for a few reasons. The first is its New York location, way over in the East Village. The second is its program, which feels super personal and driven by one person's taste rather than the market per se. And then there are the books. Karma and Brendan make some of the most bespoke art books in the business. Here's Brendan. Hey, Brendan. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, Helen. Happy to be here. I'm so glad. So, um, so I'm doing this thing uh, where I'm calling people that I admire and that I think are doing cool work, and I'm asking them the question that I always want to ask everybody, which is, why do you do what you do? Um, you run an art gallery and you publish books, and I'm just curious... Um, why, why do you do these two things, man? Right. <laughs> it's a good question. And I don't, I don't necessarily have an answer for it. I think people, you know, have to have something to do with their time. And some people have maybe more of a thought out plan. You know, they're, they're in school or they've made a little drawing what they wanted to grow up and be or they went to college for something. For me, I I didn't have those things. I just kind of um, stumbled into it, you know, through, you know, basically through design and graphic design and starting to work with artists and making books and started learning about art through that and just got really obsessed with that um, experience of, of working with artists. And every project, every, every project, every book, every poster, you know, became this moment to, to learn about art, to learn about artists, to put connections together. And, um, so, so it was, it was this really natural 
process. Um, and even, even for me, I, uh, the design process, you know, working with, with artists and galleries and institutions on, on different projects. Um, that was a, that was a great learning process. Um, you know, being a collaborator and it, it always kind of felt like being the hands of an artist was, was really exciting. And, you know, coming from a more commercial, you know, background in, in graphic design, it was so fantastic to, uh, have an artist be your client. Obviously, you know, it was, it was a job I was working and, and helping artists, but it was also for me, you know, not, not, I wasn't planning it, but it turned into, you know, this incredible way to learn about art and, um, and, and then I guess over time you start, you know, figuring out what types of art are interesting to you and, um, and yeah, and, and then you just get, you just get these great opportunities to work, work with different people. And so, yeah, the publishing is, you know, how I started and it's still a big part of what, you know, I spend my time on and, and think about and, um, but obviously it's, it's just a piece of what, you know, you do having a gallery. So there's, there's a lot of other different things that, you know, I get to spend my time on. So why do you make the books? One of the cool things that I've found is if you're making a publication, if you're making an artist book, you have to really figure out what your intention is, you know, whether you're a writer or you're an artist or a publisher and it make it kind of forces you to really hone in on what what you want to say that intentionality is something that i that i also really liked about working on projects with artists you know around books and obviously you know for it's it it kind of i understood it to be part of an artist's practice in a way it was part of their art the way that you wanted your your book cover to look like or the way that you wanted a poster to, to look like, or, you know, all those little decisions were, were part of, you know, the way that you put your art out into the world in these subtle ways. Um, and, and, uh, so that, so that was that, so that was just so exciting to get a chance to, um, you know, be a small part of that. And then obviously when you start working with artists and, there's some, there's just, they're incredible people. That's also really fun to work with artists. Yeah. I got pretty <laughs> working with artists thing myself. I can't lie. Yeah. Um, it always just felt so in like enlivening. Um, I wonder if in that revelation around intention that accompanies you know when you figure when you're having those first experiences with design and um do you have a sense of that intentionality around the gallery that you have now and the the program that you're running which is very different from other people's programs and you know you set up shop in a part of manhattan that that isn't filled with a lot of other galleries and right a really strong publication arm with a modest to small scale gallery that most other modest to small scale galleries don't have right so, so like what does all that mean to you like what's the intentionality behind those <laughs> those choices and um what you're doing 
Right. Yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess I don't really think about it, you know? Um, it's just kind of the way that, you know, we do things and it just kind of become a part of what we do. Um, and so we don't even really think about it. You know, when we do a show, we work on a book. It's always, you know, there's always this, this element to it. Um, and I guess, you know, working, working with artists, um, you know, early on with the gallery, we, we started, you know, we weren't necessarily representing artists. So we were doing projects with different types of artists and some were major artists and some were young artists, some were estates. Um, it, it was a real mix of different things. And then we kind of started, um, you know, focusing on being a more traditional gallery in the way that, you know, you, you work with artists, you work with st- estates and it's a, it's a more long-term, um, project, you know, it's, um, you know, early on doing some of these kind of singular projects where you do a show or a publication and then that's it. You know, you kind of did it and you, you're, you obviously still have a relationship and a friendship with the artist, but the, that was the kind of project. And, and that was really exciting. But I think I also started to realize, um, there's a lot of artists who, you know, need that kind of, you know, more long-term dialogue and, and commitment that galleries offer. And, um, I, you know, because I didn't work at a gallery, I guess I didn't really understand, you know, how the, the system worked, but I, I, I kind of started to understand how important the role of the gallery could be as that support system and, um, really started enjoying, enjoying that part of it as well. And, you know, and again, we're, we're in New York. There's some of the, the greatest galleries in, in the world here. And there's, there's a lot of them. And so, uh, you know, a lot of the great artists that everybody knows about, they already have great galleries, you know? So I have, you know, have, you have to go and find artists that are, you know, no one knows about or everybody knows about, but don't think are relevant anymore. But I think, you know, are interesting and so you just kind of start finding, you know, different artists that people haven't been considering for for whatever reason. And I feel very honored, full disclosure to our listeners. I, you know, Brendan, you've published several essays of mine in books that I cherish because they're so gorgeous. Uh, but every time they show up, I think to myself, what is going on with this guy making these beautiful bespoke books? Like, why is he doing this? Yeah, I guess, yeah, it, it kind of just turned into an obsession in a way. Um, but yeah, something about that object, you know, is very satisfying to me. Um, it's a way of, um, kind of putting information together in a, in a system that it feels organized and, and maybe, maybe it's also part of, uh, you know, started out as a way for me to kind of process or understand, you know, what, what is happening or how to make an exhibition or how to wrap my head around what an artist is doing or how the work has evolved or changed. Um, and, and hopefully that's what the books can also do for people that are looking at them. But oftentimes, a lot of artists, they've never had anything written about them. Mm, mm-hmm. Like literally, they've never had a book or they've never right. had anyone right. write an essay 
or, or really consider right. their work in, um, a really significant way. And so that's pretty exciting too, because that just starts taking the object and not just making it an image. And it starts putting all of this, you know, psychological and conceptual and personal and art historical ideas onto these objects. And it really can start change, changing the way that people think about, you know, an artist or, or what they're doing. Right. And, and, you know, that's one of the cool things about your writing that I'm always so blown away with is that you're, the way that you look at the work is so creative. You, you just come up with these things that I could have never had expected before. And mm. that's, that's amazing to get a chance to be a part of that um, process and, and, and kind of see it just kind of come from nothing. And then all of a sudden there's all these ideas. Um, mm. So, well, I think it's your openness, the fact that you still love working with artists and making books like that shines through every aspect of what you're doing. And I think one perhaps may need no other motivation than to pursue something purely because one loves it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, and then also how cool is it when, you know, you see an artist that you're really interested in and people haven't, people don't know about it or haven't seen it and you, you know, work with them on an exhibition and you put it out there in the world and then other people who are interesting also come back and say, wow, this is, this is a really interesting artist. I really like that too. And yeah. that's really, that's also really fun. Thank you, Brendan, so much for coming on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Helen. Great to talk. Last but not least is Ebony L. Haynes, the director of a new space in Tribeca called 52 Walker, a gallery that opened in September 2021. Ebony came out of the gate with a proposition the 52 Walker would be a commercial gallery that operated like a Kunsthalle. So a slower pace, an investment in research, artistic experimentation, and book publishing. Uh, Ebony, I'm so glad to have you on the line, to have you on the podcast. I wonder if you wouldn't mind just identifying yourself. How do you like to self-identify? Sure. My name is Ebony L. Haynes, and I am a curator and director at 52 Walker and David's Werner. That's so great. Do you mind if I ask you what the L stands for? No, I don't mind at all. It's funny. I used to mind when I was younger. I didn't talk about my, it was some form of rebellion. I don't even know why I, I refused to share my middle name when I was a kid, but it's, my middle name is Lorraine. Uh, which is my grandmother, my maternal grandmother's name. And um, an interesting fact, no one's ever asked me this before, but I added the L to my official name when I moved to New York because there are about 33 other Ebony Haineses with that <laughs> stole their name the same way. Mm -hmm. And when I first moved here, one of them actually worked in a museum, I believe somewhere in Milwaukee, um, but she had the exact same name as I did. And I just, I, yeah, I was like, I need something else. So I added the L. 
That's wonderful. First off, I love the name Lorraine, and my, I have my I don't have a middle name. I have actually a double name that very few people use, but the second half of it is my paternal grandmother's name. I'm always interested in those initials are often us carrying someone special with us along for this ride that we're on. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So one of the reasons I'm doing this is I People who know me know I really love magazine culture. And so I always have loved like the surveys and magazines and the questions and the questionnaires. And one of the things that I always want to ask people but feel is rude to ask them in person is why do you do what you do? You struck out with 52 Walker with a very different kind of program. You, as I understand it, 52 Walker is kind of like a cross between a Kunsthalle, and a commercial gallery. This is a novel idea. And I wanted to hear from you about what it was that got you to do that and why you wanted to do it. Why do you do, Ebony L. Haynes, what you do? The quick answer is I feel very fortunate to be doing what I love. I do what I do because I love it. I don't think everyone is... um, able to say that. So I do recognize kind of um, how fortunate I feel to do that. I can't say that about every job I've ever had. I'm still sort of excitedly working and and towards and chipping away at what this new sort of model looks like, which makes me, you know, continue, you know, carries on this excitement for me and interest and engagement with my own program and the space and things continue to unfold every show every time we announce a full year of programming. Um, so it's exciting. I do what I do because it's exciting and I really love it. What was your, or what were some of your first encounters with art or culture that set you on this path? Um, you know, somebody, I recently answered a question of one of the first things I remember seeing uh, that really left an impression and it's very it's it left a very strong impression and I'm not really able to verbalize what I was feeling at the time or why I was quite it was quite early in my what I would consider art education but I saw Shirin Nishat's 1993 turbulent two channel film in Toronto and it just it just knocked me off my feet I remember going back multiple times, um, sitting in the space, being kind of blown away that this could this was considered art. And I was I was just starting to understand um or trying to understand what is art, what is in a museum versus a gallery. It was the beginning of my graduate studies. I hadn't studied art in undergrad and it really captivated me. Um, but but prior to studying, um, I, I did a master's in curatorial practice and art criticism in Toronto at OCAD. And prior to that, I had not had very much experience with art, visual art. I had a lot of experience in music. Um, I worked in music before sort of entering into my grad program. So what what... How'd you make the left turn from music into curatorial studies and criticism? I mean, it's that's a that's <laughs> kind of feels like a hard left to me. 
Yeah, it sounds like a hard left when someone else says it, actually. Um, I was always interested in writing. I thought I was going to write about music, but freelance writing in any capacity, as you probably know more than many, is arduous and thankless. But I started becoming much more interested in writing about art. So when I ran out of money, I went back to Toronto and applied to this grad program that really welcomed my kind of interdisciplinary background of not a traditional art history route. Um, And it turned out to be a really great program for me. Mm. Were there writers you were reading that fueled this interest or desire to write? I... Uh, much of what I ended up studying was completely shaped by Hilton Owls. Mm, mm-hmm. um, this essay to this day, I actually created a show based on his essay, GWTW, which was Gone with the Wind mm-hmm. um, from a Without Sanctuary exhibition. It, it, it kind of also knocked me off my feet thinking that somebody, that you could write about what you're looking at in that way. And then I just obsessively read everything he ever put out about anything theater music pop culture um i was reading a lot of hal foster uh, sorry i just chuckle while i say that it sounds it sounds like a funny reflection now um rosalind krauss was pretty into greenberg i laughed when you said hal foster because he's my he was my dissertation advisor so oh, like, okay yeah, so, you know, many, many like in, in several lifetimes ago, I too read a lot of Hal Foster. <laughs> and he shaped the way I think, much the way you're describing Hilton shaping the way you think. Like, Hal really gave me a sense of what was possible in criticism. It's exciting when you meet writers like that or you encounter writing like that. You know, I also, I was really interested in the kind of interdisciplinary writer one of my favorites was Lisa Joan. Um, I did, you know, I was reading, I read, started reading Kelly Jones too, but I really loved the writer who I felt was speaking to me, who could, was coming from a place that didn't feel like a traditional background of art, but was speaking to a wide breadth of things like music and culture and visual culture more in general. Lisa Jones is a huge favorite of mine, Greg Tate. Um, I'd love to just give a little shout out now to Tate, uh, the, his passing created a hole in my sense of what's possible that, you know, that very few people. Yeah. Yeah. Greg Tate yeah, was enormously very, important to me too. Very, very huge, wildly important. And I, I, I also really appreciated, um, you know, you mentioned magazines. I was a huge mag, like avid magazine, just, gobbled them up. I had subscriptions to every magazine under the sun. And I actually have modeled our book here at 52 Walker, which is a series called Clarion, off of some of my favorite magazines. Oh, really? Um, So instead of a, yeah, instead of a traditional, what would be considered a curatorial essay, I call it a curator's note, like an editor's note, which for some of my favorite magazines was was the best start of the issue, right? What is the editor going to say on this one page? Um, so I was looking at writing from all over, but in terms of art writing and, and criticism, that's that's who I was looking at early. You know, hearing of your interest in writing and magazines and then that you come out of the music world, so you don't come up, you know, through the kind of art historical ranks. 
you're the first year at 52 Walker, I kind of understand the program a little bit more. Um, you know, you chose artists who had interdisciplinarity kind of as a part of their natural practice, uh, so to speak. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit of, if, do you know what you're drawn to? You know, do you, do you have a sense of your own, uh, editorial quote unquote or curatorial taste today <laughs> well if you don't today but you did yesterday i'll allow it yeah <laughs> um i mean it's definitely ever it feels ever evolving but i suppose if it was something that i had been tracking for the last you know 15 years there would be a, a through line of sorts but i Such an interesting question. I when I when I see something I like, I know it. Mm. That's the that's sort of the distinguishing factor between everything. There's um, and all of the shows at Fifty Two Walkers so far, and that have just been announced and will be announced in twenty twenty four, meet that criteria. They're artists and works that I've encountered either. Um, through studio visits or working with the artist before in a different scale or or capacity, and I, I just sort of know there's just something about the work that I really feel excited about and excited to share as a curator. Why I've embraced interdisciplinary backgrounds because of my own, right? Um, I was I felt much more comfortable in a studio visit in my earlier days, for example, when there was a lot of AV and tech. Oh, we were talking about film and sound, and I, I come from a really heavy sound background. Um, you know, like I've worked in recording studios and settings and radio. Um, and so I think I started picking up on things I just personally was interested in or had an experience with. And then it, and then just evolved a bit, a bit from there over the years. That's really fascinating to me because there's part of me that wonders um, if the thing that you're translating between the two mediums is um, like the guy at the mixing board. Yeah, I think I'm really interested in in similar to, you know, the mixer. I'm not interested in being the name on the album or the name on the door, you know, like I and I don't think I'm going to make what the, what artists have done better. But I do think. I'm excited to be given the opportunity to help the presentation of what we both see together in the work and what, you know, it's, it's a reciprocity of me saying, I really, I, I see it like this and this is how you've talked about the work and maybe we try this or we build this wall or we use this and what do you, like, I really enjoy that sort of at the boards, I'm using air quotes here, sitting at the board feel. So I think there's something in that kind of a personality that, is excited to be in the background, is excited to be backstage mm -hmm. and just, and witness the crowd reaction. What I'm curious about though, with you is you talk, I've never heard someone in a, in the commercial gallery space talk about the public, right? Like mm -hmm. they talk about the artist and they talk about their clients. The public is the kind of, not a missing term, but it's not as privileged. The, the people who talk about the public are museum folk. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm curious, 
why you didn't go the museum route, since you do have these curatorial impulses, the impulse to be, to write, to, you know, you started 52 Walker, it has four shows a year, not 10 shows a year. Um, so what about this commercial space um, interested you? I did not want to lose the commercial sale of the work. It, it's actually quite important to me personally as a curator and this sort of behind-the-scenes supporter. I appreciate um, that museums, I mean, museums, I wouldn't be opposed to working in a museum, but there's something about selling the work that since I've started in commercial galleries has always been such a rewarding process. You know, when you when you love and care about an artist and that work that you've spent some time putting a show together for, it feels so wonderful to place it with people who also care about the work. Private collection, selling to museums, being able to tell the artist that you've sold their work and hear it, just speaking very frankly, and here is some money. Yeah. to continue doing what you're doing. It's really important. It's a really important part of the art world that um, there's no need to gloss over it. Artists need money. Spaces need money to operate. I'm really happy when great people get the work and I like to be a part of that. Mm. So I get to do both. That's the, that's the blend. I get to do the commercial gallery and the Quinstala. Right. Well, I hope everybody loves what's coming up. <laughs> at least the next two years, because I'm very excited. That's great. Well, so far it's been it's been really wonderful. I think I've seen I've seen three shows, um, and they've each been very different and really compelling. And so I offer you my congratulations and also my gratitude. Thank you so much, Helen. I really appreciate it. Dialogues is produced by David Zwerner. If you like this episode, please follow, rate, and review us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. It really does help the show. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you join us here next time.